Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How you doing this morning? Good, good. I'm so glad you're here. My name is JD. I'm the associate pastor. I've been here for about two months. So excited to be in front of you this morning and have the opportunity to share God's word um, as best as I can. I just, I just hope that he speaks through me. Um, and I always think that the best way to, to jump into God's word is to start off with a joke. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just a good way to kind of get things started. So you guys mind if I tell you a joke? All right. I don't care. I'm going to tell it either way. Um, so here we go. There was a robber one day, uh, one night, it was late at night, and he breaks into this house. And um, so he's looking for valuables to put in his bag. And he has a flashlight, and he comes across this stereo, a very expensive stereo. And so he starts to unwire the stereo. All of a sudden, he hears this voice echo in the darkness. Jesus is watching you. So he turns the flashlight off real quick. He freezes, scared to death, right? And he doesn't hear anything for a couple seconds, and he thinks, oh, it's my conscience, you know, like, I, I, I just need to stop. This is, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a sabbatical from robbing people. After this one, I'm done. You know what I'm saying? And so he, he eventually turns the flashlight back on. He begins to, to unwire the stereo. He hears the voice again. Jesus is watching you. So this time, he frantically is scanning the room to find out where this voice is coming from. Finally, in the corner of the room, he sees a parrot sitting in a cage. And he goes, was that you? Parrot said, yep, just trying to warn you. So somewhat relieved, the, the robber, he's like, well, who are you anyway? And the, uh, the parrot said, Moses? Robber goes, what kind of crazy owner would name their parrot Moses? And the parrot said, same kind of owner that would name their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching you. Doesn't Christianity sometimes get the rap that Jesus is watching you? That that's like what we're supposed to be basing our faith out. That it's like really a fear-based mentality that Jesus is watching you, so watch out, don't do the wrong thing. But can I tell you something here today? Someone who, who fully has bought into this idea of, of following Jesus with my life and doing, I don't do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but doing what I can to give my life over to him. Can I tell you that Jesus promises the most fulfilling, adventuresome life when you say yes to him? It's not about fear, it's about a mission that he has called us to. When we say yes to this mission, it totally transforms our lives. Now, some of you here today, you would say, you know what? I'm just here scoping church out, and so you are not going to sell me on anything, okay? And, and that is totally fine. I'm glad you're here today, and it's going to feel a little bit like I'm not talking to you. It's going to feel like I'm only talking today. We're going to talk about the idea of discipleship and being on mission with what Jesus had for us, because whenever you say yes to Jesus... You're also saying yes to a very specific mission. Very specific mission. So, for those of you who are just checking things out and you're not 100% sure, you know, if you want to buy in, it's a really good idea for you to understand the mission because you don't want to say yes to something when you're like, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? You know what I mean? You want to know what it is. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to share with you a clip um, that, that goes back to the words that Jesus spoke specifically to his disciples, okay? And he explains to them, okay, if you say yes to me, you're saying yes to a very specific mission, and here is the mission that I have for you. So, if you're ready for this, 
then you can, you can buy in and you can say yes, but you can't just kind of say yes. You have to fully buy in and you have to go in with a mission in mind. How many of you all know about the, in the military? Anytime we had an amazing uh, service last, last weekend for Memorial Day, it was incredible where we honored the men and women who have fallen um, in the line of duty for us. But how many of you know that every single time they go out and go somewhere, what do they go to do? They go with a mission, right? They go with a mission. The Bible is no different. Jesus gives a very specific mission. Now, for some of you, this is going to be the very first time you've ever heard this mission. For others of you, you this is going to simply be a reminder, but either way, it's important for all of us to know whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, somewhere, you know, you're not 100% sure. You said, you know, you said a prayer at camp one time when you were like 12, and you're like not sure if you're a Christian, and you're kind of like, I don't know, because like the week afterwards, I, you know, I stole $20 from my brother's drawer, and then I wasn't sure if it stuck, you know, that kind of thing. So you need to know know if this is what you're saying yes to, um, this, is what, this is the final mission that Jesus gave. So let me set this scene up for you. The, the, Jesus says these words in Matthew 28 in, in where he's, he's speaking to his disciples and it's immediately after he had just resurrected, come up out of the grave after hanging on a cross and dying for, th- you know, for three days and then he came back to life. Very last instructions, the mission that he gives his disciples is, okay, here's what I'm asking you to do. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go and make more disciples. It's to go and make more disciples. How many of you know that in the Bible, the word Christian is only used three times in, in scriptures? However, the word disciple appears more than 296 times in the New Testament. So obviously the word disciple, understanding what a disciple is and what does a disciple do is very important for us to understand if you and I are called to follow Jesus and our mission is to make disciples. So the big question you're probably wondering is, especially if you're new to the whole, you know, church thing, God thing, you're like, okay, that's great and I'm supposed to make disciples. I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to be a disciple. I don't even know how to make a disciple. There's also folks who have been here for 25 years that that have been a Christian, said yes to Jesus a long time ago. And you're not 100% sure what it means to make a disciple, to be a disciple, to make a disciple. So here's the question we're going to answer today. The question that we're going to answer is, what does it mean to be a disciple that makes disciples? What does it mean to be a disciple that makes disciples? So the way we're going to do this is we're going to go way, way back in history. And I want to tell you some cultural history of what it was like all the way back in the first century whenever Jesus was here on earth. What did it mean back then to be someone's disciple? And I hope that it's going to give you some context and a better understanding of what it meant back then to be a disciple and what it means, therefore, to be a disciple today in our modern instant society. All right. Now, the reason I want to share this, this information with you is because the first time that I heard this, this idea of, of, um, of all this cultural background and all this history, it totally opened my eyes up, not only more to understanding what Jesus was like and what he was calling people to, but it really opened my eyes up to what Jesus thought about me, and it transformed the way I kind of view myself. And so I want to pass this information along to you from something I learned to something that now you can learn, and then hopefully you can pass it on to somebody to somebody else. And uh, I think it's going to be a really, a really interesting thing. And so 
what I want to start off with is, is by telling you, how many of y'all have ever heard Jesus referred to as a rabbi? You ever heard of Jesus referred to as a rabbi? And you, maybe you've read it or you've, you've heard it, somebody say it before. Many, many times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as a rabbi. Now, by definition, a rabbi is one who studies or teaches Jewish law and is considered the master of his disciples. Okay? Now, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi who lives in a very Jewish culture in a place called the Galilee, okay? Now, in the Galilee, the people of that day believed that there was a great historical leader whose, whose name was Moses. You've probably heard of Moses. Moses is the guy that wrote the Ten Commandments. He's the one um, way, way back before Jesus was on earth um, who, who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt from slavery. Well, the people believed that God anointed this guy named Moses, to write the first five books of our modern-day Bible, okay? Now, the first five books of the Bible back then were called the Torah, the Torah. These are the first five books of the Bible. Now, what you need to understand, the reason why this is so important is because the Torah was the foundation that everything else was built on in a Jewish community. Every educational system was built on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Everything was, was around this idea. So what would happen is, at the age of five or six years old, little Jewish boys and girls would go off to school. It would be like us sending our kids off to kindergarten, okay? And they would go off and they would begin to learn from a rabbi in a synagogue about the Torah. Now, the idea of this, this, this thing that we would consider kindergarten, they had a very specific name for it. This first level of education was known as Be'i Be'i Now. In Bay Affair, what they would have to do, the idea was, among other things, was completely memorize, word for word, the entire Torah. I, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know. I'm just kidding, Bistro team. I had a delicious breakfast this morning for those of you who helped make it. I'm just kidding. But normally, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. And, and, and these, these kids at a very young age are learning to memorize the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. Holy cow. Now, I don't know if you've ever read any of those books. Let's just say they're not exactly page turners, okay? I mean, some of it is pretty dry. I mean, I believe that all of God's word is anointed and it's important and it's valuable, but it's not necessarily the most interesting stuff in the world. Some of it is, and then there's other stuff where you're like, oh my goodness, and these kids memorize this stuff? So this first level of education was called base affair. They would go to base affair from the time they're five or six years old to the time they're about 10 years old. Now, at the end of this, at the time they're about 10 years old, most kids would then kind of graduate from school and they would move on to begin to learn their family's trade or they would learn how to manage a household. They wouldn't continue on. However, the best of the best students would continue on to the next level of education, which was referred to as Bay Talmud. Now, this was the best of the best students, the ones with the most natural ability. And here's what they had to do. Among other things, they were asked to memorize the entire Hebrew scriptures. That's Genesis through Malachi that is the entire, on our, in our world, that is the entire Old Testament memorized. Memorized. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable that they would have to do this. In my Bible, that's 1,322 pages of information. Now, they did it in scrolls, so I can't tell you how many scrolls that was, but it was a lot, okay? You know, so it was, it was just a lot of information, crazy, crazy stuff. And now, what would happen is by the end of Bay Talmud, they started when they were about 10 
and then they would end up finishing Bay Talmud at about 14 or 15 years old. Now, obviously, most kids were just not cut out for this much information to be able to retain and be able to act out this much information. So by this point, many kids are kind of tapping out and they're beginning to learn their family trade. They've kind of like finished school and they go and they start to learn what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. But the best of the best of the best students, I mean, these are the elite students, they would continue on to the final level of education, the third level of education, which was known as Bay Midrash. Bay Midrash. Now, what would happen is a, a student would go before a rabbi, and they would say to this rabbi, they would say, hey, I really would like to follow you and be one of your disciples. Be one of your disciples. So this is, we're bringing in the word disciple. You know, we talked about how Jesus said your mission is to be a disciple who makes disciples. So what is the definition of a disciple? Well, most of the time, we refer to a disciple as someone who knows what the teacher knows, right? Someone who knows what the teacher knows. But back in the first century Jewish world, it was much, much deeper than that. You see, a disciple didn't just want to know what the teacher knew. They wanted to think how their rabbi thought so that they could know what their rabbi knew, so that they could do exactly what their rabbi did in order to be exactly like their rabbi. In my research, I learned that, you, that, that these, these disciples literally, in certain, uh, certain circumstances, would mimic even the movements and the mannerisms of their rabbi. That's how much they wanted to be in tune with who, what their rabbi was and their set of interpretations. And so the thing about a rabbi was each rabbi, just like if you were to go to different churches you know, in the Virginia Beach area, each rabbi had a, a slightly different interpretation and a way of living out the Torah, you know, the first five books of the Bible. They had a different way of doing it. So this rabbi's set of interpretations was referred to as their yoke, their yoke. Now, the idea of the yoke and the goal of a disciple was to take on the yoke and spread the yoke of this rabbi to other people, okay? So that was the ultimate goal, was to spread a rabbi's yoke so what would happen is if you were, you know, the, the best of the best of the best, the elite student, you would go to a rabbi of your choice and you would say, I would really like you to consider me to be one of your disciples. And so this rabbi, what would happen is they would just grill you with information. I mean, they would ask you stuff about the Torah. They'd ask you stuff about the oral traditions, about the, the prophets, all this stuff. Because what they wanted to know was this rabbi wanted to know, does this kid have what it takes to be one of my disciples? Can this kid actually do what I do? Really, the ultimate question they wanted to answer was, can this student spread my yoke to other people? Can this kid do what I do? And so here's what happened. He, the rabbi would grill the student, and if, if, he, if the rabbi thought, you know what, this kid's good, but he's not the best of the best, he would, he would say, hey, you know what, nice try, um, but I'm sorry, I just don't think that you're the right fit. So why don't you just go on and kind of continue learning your family's trade, begin learning what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. I just don't think you're cut out to be one of our rabbis. However, if a rabbi thought, holy cow, this kid has got it. I mean, this kid, 14, 15, 16 years old, I believe that this kid can do what I do, can spread my yoke he would say something very, very specific to this student who was going to be his disciple. He would say, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And so, 
as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, you would leave your friends, your family, your hometown, everything, and you would devote your entire life to being exactly like this rabbi, understanding how this rabbi interpreted the scriptures so that you could interpret it in the same way. When we look back at the first century and we say, what does a disciple look like? This is what a disciple looked like in the first century. It was unbelievable, the detail that was required in order to be a disciple of a rabbi. So what would happen is once a rabbi had his set of, you know, the, had chosen basically the disciples that he was going to have follow him or following him around and learning what he was going to be doing, you could just picture a rabbi kind of going from town to town in the Middle East. And when you think back in the, to the Middle East, you think of a place that's very dusty and arid and dry. And so what would happen is these disciples, like I told you, they're even trying to understand this rabbi's mannerisms, okay? And, and, and so they would be following behind this rabbi, trying to listen as he's teaching and trying to understand everything, trying to mimic him, all this kind of stuff. And because they would follow so closely behind their rabbi, there was this saying that developed among the wise people and the sages of this time period. And they said something very, very cool. They said, may you as a disciple be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Maybe you've uh, been in a really heavy rainstorm when you're out on the road, you know, on an interstate or something like that, and your windshield wipers are doing one of this, and you get caught behind a semi-truck, you know what I'm talking about, where stuff's splattering, or, heaven forbid, a snowstorm hits Virginia Beach, and you're like, oh my goodness, and this stuff is just splattering up on you. It's the same kind of idea. You're, you're following so closely that it's just coming, and it's just, it's just covering you, and the wisdom of this rabbi would cover their disciples. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now let's take a second and let's look at the connection of being a disciple look like, and let's bring Jesus into the picture. Okay, so a rabbi started their journey as a rabbi at about the age of 30. So at about the age of 30, Jesus is walking down the Sea of Galilee. And he comes across a couple of guys in a boat. And it comes from Matthew 4, 18. And here's what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into a lake, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus says something crazy. He says, hey, you too. Come, follow me. Now, wait a second here. If these two guys are in a boat and they're fishing, that means they're not following another rabbi. That, that, that means they didn't make the cut. That somewhere along the line, they got booted from the educational system and the levels, and they weren't good enough and yet Jesus comes to them and he says, hey, you, come follow me. But, and, and then it, it says in, the, in Matthew 4.20, it says, 
and at once they left their nets and they followed him. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, in our day and age, that seems weird. Like, why would somebody just leave everything and follow him? But when you understand the context of what we're talking about, it makes perfect sense. Rabbis were the most revered, honored, respected people anywhere. Only the best of the best got to hang out with the rabbis, got to be like a rabbi. And this rabbi comes to you and he says, hey, you, come follow me. Of course you would leave everything behind and you would follow him. Because what's he really saying? By saying, come follow me, he's saying, I think you can do what I do. I, I think you have what it takes to be like me. Of course, in that day and age, you would leave everything and follow him. And then the text continues and it says, from there, Jesus went to two brothers. They were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they were sitting in a boat with their father. So if they're sitting in a boat with their father, what are they doing? They're apprenticing. They are learning from their father. They're learning the family trade, which what, what does that mean? That means, guess what? These fellows didn't make the cut either. They weren't good enough. And yet Jesus says, come follow me to them as well. I have to believe that Jesus calls these people and chooses them because his movement is for everyone. His movement is for everyone. It's for the rich. It's for the poor. It's for the educated. It's for the uneducated. It's for the men. It's for the women. It is for everyone. It's for the people with the screwed up past, like, like the tax collector who, who, was, who was hated. And Jesus says, hey, you, come follow me. And everyone's like, what are you choosing him for? This guy's an idiot. You know, and, and, and everyone's like, and he's like, no, I think, I think you can do what I do. I think you can follow me. Jesus chooses the not good enoughs, the people with the past that if you look back at it, you'd say, there's no way we should let this cat into our group. You know what I'm saying? And, and he says to them, come follow me. I think you can spread my yoke. I think you can do what I do. I think you can take on my mission, which is to be a disciple who makes disciples. Here was the the, the absolute enlightening moment for me when I heard this the first time. I know that believing in Jesus is an important factor, obviously, to the Christian faith. You have to believe. There's an element of faith to believing in Jesus. But I never realized this. Jesus actually believes in me. He actually thinks that I can do what he did. Here's the point for many of us here today. Maybe you're just scoping things out and you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing and I told you about that and I'm telling you right now, the mission is to go and make disciples. You have, and, and <laughs> I, I did one of two things. I either... It, you either feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to, hey, come follow me kind of thing, or you're like, I am running as far away from this place as possible because I have nothing to do with that. So to me, I'm, I'm laying before you this opportunity of either saying yes to Jesus, yes to a mission, or no, 
I don't want anything to do with that. Because whenever Jesus says, come follow me, it, although he, our faith is covered in grace. I mean, he gives us grace and second He's a God of second chances, right? But he also expects this unflinching, complete, exclusive commitment to him. When you say yes to Jesus, you can't just say yes, kind of. When you truly say, yes, I will be a disciple, you're saying, I will follow you so closely that I will be absolutely covered in your dust. So I want to share with you five principles that come from the book of Acts. And I, and I, I want to refer to these as covered in his dust principles. See, let me, let me set the stage before I share them with you. In the book of Acts... The disciples are sitting around and they're kind of dumbfounded because Jesus, after he just gave them the Great Commission, which is to go and make more disciples, they literally watched him ascend into heaven. And they're like, oh boy, like, now what? They had to remember that Jesus said, but remember, I will be with you always. So even though he wasn't going to be physically with them, he was going to send his spirit to live inside of them to, so that they would always have him as a companion. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the disciples are sitting around and they're trying to figure out, okay, so our mission is to be a disciple who makes a disciple. Well, how do we do that? And so they came up with, with the help of the Holy Spirit, these five very specific things. And if you want to look them up and read the actual scripture where it comes from, I'm just going to paraphrase it. But it comes from Acts 2, 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42, 42 through 47. So these are the five very specific things that you and I need to do in order to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, Jesus. So here's what it says. The first, the first thing is, is that we need to connect with other believers. Connect with other believers. What does that mean? That means that whenever, um, you know, you think about a fire, okay, and you think about like a fire with a bunch of logs in it, what happens is if you were to take some, some tongs or whatever and you were to take a, um, a piece of that, uh, one log out of that fire and you were to set it off, by itself, it could only last so long and stay lit before it needs to be put back in the fire, right? To, to, get, to get warmed up, to, to be an effective warmth for someone else. The same is true with us. You know, we, we are designed to, 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 to come together and, and connect with other believers and then go out and then, and then do our thing. You know, go out and make disciples and, and, and be a, be a, um, begin to imitate Jesus and trying to, trying to do everything we can to let his spirit lead through us. So let me give you an example of that. We have a picnic coming up next weekend. Y'all got a card whenever you came in here. And you're like, you know what? I'm not really a big picnic person, or I have plans next weekend, and I just really don't think I can make new plans. Reprioritize connecting with other believers. And you're like, yeah, but I have friends that were, you know, I was going to kind of hang out with. They don't go to church here. Bring them. Bring them. Invite them to come along and connect with other people who are like-minded so that they too can start to see, oh my goodness, there's something more to this. This isn't some cult. This is a relationship that, that is like real. It's genuine. It's authentic. And I want it. I don't fully understand it, but I want it. So connecting with other believers and other disciples. The second thing is growing in knowledge. Growing in your knowledge. So let me give you a prime example. During the 10 o'clock hour, we have 
a thing called faith in life classes, where we have people that are willing, people, knowledgeable people who are willing to lead these different studies and different uh, groups of people through conversation and through knowledge so that we can begin to understand scripture more. Can I just say that it's time for us to step up and go take the elevator to the third floor at 10 o'clock and we need to be in those classes. We need to be committed to showing up to those things because that's going to allow us to grow in our faith. That's going to allow us to make, to, to begin to understand God's word at a deeper level as we learn from other people. You know, we have men's and women's ministry stuff going on. We had a really great men's breakfast uh, just yesterday. Um, and, and here's the thing. Whenever you see a men's breakfast slide come up, men, be there. Connect with other disciples for one. And second is grow in your knowledge, grow in your understanding of God's word. The third thing I want to share with you from the book of Acts that will allow us to be covered in the dust of our disciple is connect through worship. Connect through worship. And what that means is that means both privately as well as publicly in worship. So what I mean is, is that when you have time each day, we need to carve out time where we're spending time alone with God in his word, you know, find a really great devotional, get, you know, our, we have, we have at the Connection Center a thing called Our Daily Bread, it's a daily devotional. If you have a smartphone, I just found this, there's an app for Our Daily Bread where you can literally for free just have it come up on your phone every single day. If you even want to, you can have it hit the play button, it'll read it to you like the scripture and the thing, just by, just by downloading this app and connecting with God's word on a daily basis. It's awesome, right? But it also means publicly joining for worship. It has to do with connect, the first point, which is connecting with other disciples and growing in our knowledge. That means when it's 83 degrees and sunny this summer and you'd rather be at the beach, say, I'm going to go to the beach, but I'm going to go after I connect at church because I need to get myself back in the fire. I need to make sure that I'm connected with other believers in a public worship environment where I can see other people, where I can sing, where I can acknowledge with other believers that I believe and I need to grow and connect. The fourth thing is serving others. Serving others. One of the best ways that you and I learn is through experience, right? Even right now. Um, as I speak to you, you're the audience and I'm, and I'm speaking, you're retaining a certain percentage of what I'm saying. I'm retaining way more because I'm teaching it and it's becoming, it comes out of me and I'm just like, oh my goodness, what are they, you know, like God, you know, he's, he's speaking to me even as I'm speaking to you because I'm teaching it because I'm, I'm actually experiencing it. Well, the same is true of you. We have to put ourselves in serving opportunities. So let me give you an example. In two weeks, you're going to hear about this thing called Summer Serve. It's where we ask people that don't normally serve to serve in the summer in our children's, specifically in our children's environments with the little, little ones in promised land and with the um, K through fifth graders in promised land because we want to give our regular volunteers a little bit of a break to say thank you. And, and if you sign up, you understand why they need a break because these kids are rascals, okay? I mean, this is not an easy task and you understand, but here's what I'm saying. When we have that sign-up sheet in two weeks, we should have a list so long that Whitney, our student, or our children's ministry director, should have to call you and say, I am so sorry, but I'm going to have to direct you to another ministry to serve because we have too many volunteers. We have too many people that, uh, that said yes. And you know what you're saying yes to? You're saying and acknowledging the fact that a disciple starts when they're this tall. Am I right? When they're this tall. And you're saying, you know what, I don't, I, don't, I don't know enough information. You don't have to know it all to be there present and to follow a curriculum that will help you. You just have to say yes. You have to be covered in his dust by serving 
others. There's a million ways, internally and externally at this church. I'm not, don't just hear me saying, oh, serve here, come to this event at the church, do Spring Branch stuff. There's a million ways you can serve. I'm not just saying internally. There's stuff outside the church that we should be actively involved in so that we can be covered in his dust. And the last thing is sharing your faith, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, that's a scary one. And you're right, it is. It is a scary one. But what I'm not saying is to beat people over the head with a Bible. What I'm saying is to share Paul wrote this. He said, we didn't just share the scripture with you. We share our very lives. And what I'm saying is share your very life with someone else. Let them in and show them through your actions and then through conversation what you believe. And you're like, but I don't have enough knowledge. I'm not asking you to share what I know. I'm not asking you to share what somebody else knows. I'm just asking you to share what you know about God's word. And doing what he has called you to do. But we have to sharpen our skills at being disciples that make disciples by sharing our faith. By investing in people and then inviting them to come along to church. Next weekend is a great example of that with a church picnic. You're like, hey, come to church with me. We're going to have a picnic. It's going to be outside. It's going to be fun. Good, lots of activities going on. It's going to be a great environment. It's a perfect opportunity for you to invest in somebody and then invite them to come to church. Here's my prayer for you is that you would understand the importance of believing in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe, and in, in, I'm asking you, maybe it's time to consider that. You feel something tugging on your heart, and, you're, and it's, I'm telling you what it is. It's Jesus tugging on your heart saying, let me in. Come follow me. I want you, but I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. With me through you, you are. By yourself, you're not. I want to use you. I want to be a part of every area of your life. So I pray that you would understand that it's important to believe in Jesus, but that you would also begin to see that Jesus, he believes in you and you and you and you and you. He believes in us. And that you would begin to see that the only way you can do what he's calling us to do, this monumental mission, is that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so, so much for this opportunity. I pray that your words would penetrate hearts. And God, that you would make a difference in our lives by, by, by saying, come follow me, and that we would answer that call and that we would give you everything. Lord, we know that there's a cost. We understand that there's a cost, that, that our salvation is free, that all we have to do is accept you, but we understand there's a cost to being a disciple, that we have to put our priorities aside and give you our very lives. So, Father, I pray that we wouldn't just hear these words and they wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but, God, that they would come and be buried deep within our hearts and as a result of what we hear today, that we would take action that we would connect with other believers, that we would serve others, that we would share our faith, that we would be a part of corporate worship and private worship with you, Lord. That we would do what it requires to be so in tune with you that we would be covered in your dust. We thank you, Father, and it's in your name we pray.